On the first episode of the podcast, we started out with silence. In that instance, it was to illustrate how different a traditional, unprogrammed, silent meeting was compared to that of a more boisterous branch of friends, evangelical Kenyan Quakers. Today, it's in preparation to discuss John's calling and the vision of this organization. This is also the way we begin many of our meetings here at The Quaker Project. Uh, Do you think we could have like a little bit of uh, worship to get us started? Sure. Great. Podcast. Story. Spirit. Sound. I'm Georgia Sparling. And I'm John Watts. And this is the last episode of The Quaker Podcast Season 1. That's right. It's been a good run. We can't wait to get back to the drawing board and start dreaming about Season 2. And we're so grateful to everyone who has tuned in, and especially to those of you who have reached out with comments and feedback about how this podcast has impacted your spiritual journey. Yeah, it's been really amazing to hear from so many people over the course of these past 19 or 20 episodes Even though it's been a lot of work, it really doesn't feel like the first episode launched just in May. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) Time flies when you have a lot of deadlines. (laughs) (laughs) Also true. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, at the end of the show, we'll talk more about what happens in between seasons one and two. But I want to get into this episode about how the Quaker Project actually started. And, you know, we're ending with the beginning here. Yeah, well, well, you are anyway. You've been working hard on this episode for the past couple of weeks, um, interviewing board members and donors and my wife, Jess. <laughs> and, and other than our conversation, I haven't heard any of it yet. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this story unfolds Georgia style. Yeah, well, it's been a great experience to hear from folks who predate my involvement with the organization and to learn like how they really caught the vision early on and why they were excited to be a part of it. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about how you've approached this episode. Um, well, with some guidance from you, um, I called up folks who were really instrumental in those early days of the Quaker, um, trying to get people kind of from the different segments of the organization and different segments of the phases, I guess, of establishing it. You know, and I asked them kind of what part they played and what they thought about it then, what they think about it now, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's great. You know, one one thing that I've learned about getting something like this going is that it takes a village. There have been so many talented friends who have been involved from the beginning and have lent their wisdom and expertise to getting us this far. And I was only able to speak to a fraction of those people, but today we'll take you behind the scenes a bit and explore what it takes to start a nonprofit. I do get a lot of questions about how to get something like this up and running. And, you know, it's rare that we get to tell the story when it's so fresh. I I think that this is a really helpful episode for anyone who's ever thought about starting anything or question whether to follow a leading. 
Yeah, we hope this can be a resource for you if you're considering starting your own project or if you're just thinking about the state of modern Quakerism and how this model in particular, the 501c3, fits into that. And it won't exactly be a primer, but we hope it's a helpful peek into the human side of this nonprofit Quaker startup. So let's get started. Let's go. Working for a startup is intimidating. It really is not for the faint of heart. On the one hand, you get to start on the ground floor and help shape new systems. On the other hand, there are no systems. Everyone is on a steep learning curve. Everyone is doing things that are outside of their strengths or their comfort areas. It's frustrating to feel out of your depth all the time. (laughs) If you're not going to quit immediately, there's one thing you unequivocally need. Vision. So my name is Holly Baldwin. I'm a spiritual director or spiritual companion. My connection with the Quaker Project is I am the clerk of the board and one of the founding board members. And that's where we're going to start today, with vision. To get a startup off the ground, it's got to start with an idea, one that captivates people's imaginations and answers a clear need. John called me up, said he had a project he wanted to talk to me about, and shared his ideas and his enthusiasm. And he talked about storytelling, and that really connected with me a lot because I love storytelling. I was raised by two storytellers, just reaches me in a deep place. Um, But the other thing that really grabbed me about the project is I'm the kind of Quaker that orients to experiments and new things. So I really resonate with the passage from Isaiah. Look, I'm doing a new thing. Can't you see it? I'm making a way in the desert. And I don't mean to call Quaker, traditional Quaker spaces a desert, but I'm the kind of person that, that always hungers for, ooh, what if, what if we could go a little bit deeper? What if we could um, awaken a, a stronger sense of the spirit in each other? And what would happen if we listened and listened for how the spirit was moving among us, and, and especially in Quaker spaces? And the way John described, you know, this project, it sounded to me like an experiment that might help Quakers think differently about how we do Quakerism. We're living through some really challenging times and some really tumultuous times and lots of Quakers and other people listening to this. Um, are probably asking themselves, you know, what does the world need from me right now? What does the world need from Quakers right now? That, of course, is John Watts, who you already know. But he's stepping out of his hosting role here to answer some questions about why he started the Quaker Project. Ultimately, what we're doing here is not about an organization. It's not about articles of incorporation and bylaws and uh, personnel handbooks. It's about showing up in a faithful way in the world. It's about doing this work. But why media? Podcasts, eventually newsletters and videos, daily reflections, things on the internet. Quakers believe in the possibility of peace on earth. 
and the the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or the peaceable kingdom or the beloved community, you know, pick pick your language for the vision. It's like a world in which um, we are no longer at war with one another. We are connected. We're working together. We're honoring one another. And Quakers all have a different approach to taking the next step forward in trying to realize that vision. But from the very beginning, we've understood as a religious society that it's going to take struggle. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of trauma. In the early days of Quakerism, that manifested in public preaching on the streets and public signs trying to shake people out of their complacency with the broken world. And you know, printing and pamphlets. When I think about the sort of next era of humanity and life on earth, there's a lot to be concerned about. We haven't entered the peaceable kingdom, the beloved community. And when I search my heart, as most Quakers have done, about where I feel called and what what the work is that I can do. I look at this new communication technology of internet media and social media, and I see that that's where the opportunity is happening to lift up these messages and to build a platform that plants the seeds of peace that establishes the concepts that are going to foment the struggle in our hearts between brokenness and healing, between peace and violence. John spent years working on a Quaker video project. Many of you know it. It's called Quaker Speak. And during that time, he started to get restless. He loved sitting with others and asking them searching spiritual questions and then creating these videos that could ignite discussion and faith-filled responses with thousands of people, people he might never even meet in person. And I imagined what it would look like to have a whole ecosystem of projects that are all grounded in this idea of courageous faithfulness of internet media as ministry. What does a bigger vision for this look like? Oh, God, I was stoked. That's Hannah Mayer, our operations coordinator and also a longtime friend of John's. And I was similarly stoked about Quaker Speak because it just felt like such a a clear and present need in the Religious Society of Friends. And it was exactly the same feeling with the Quaker Project. Like, yes. There is, there is a need, and what you're talking about is going to fill that need really beautifully. Starting something new has a very real impact for everyone within the orbit of the organization. There are risks and unknowns, so I wanted to take a second to zoom in on some of the personal impacts. In 2019, John quit his job to focus on this fledgling idea of a Quaker media nonprofit. We were very much a startup relationship at the time. That's Jess Horton. I'm an art historian. I work in the indigenous studies field at a university. Um, And I am 
the wife of John Watts, which I think is relevant to our conversation today. Jess and John were not very far into their relationship when he decided to go all in on the Quaker project. You know, there was no the Quaker when we met in 2019, but we had a long six-mile walk on the Schuylkill River on our first date talking about all the things, um, values and dreams and where we saw ourselves in our lives and where we were going. Um, And I feel like the seeds were there, and it was really only six, seven months later that John made the kind of big decision to um, leave his job at Friends Journal, where he was directing the Quaker Speak video series. So that was a lot in the first year of our getting to know each other. Um, But it was also a really exciting time to enter each other's lives uh, because then you become part of the growth process, right? You start to be able to embolden one another to um, to take take bold leaps and, and do courageous things. John had a clearness committee in 2021 to explore if he should really move ahead with this leading. And throughout that discernment process, it became so clear to me that this is my piece, that I feel so strongly and see so clearly uh, a great people gathered through powerful real-world ministries and conversations that we bring to these online platforms. Yeah, so that's what I've devoted my life to. I think it's where I'm, where I'm supposed to be. That's a great start, but making it happen is a whole other story. So what does it actually take to start a nonprofit? Let's get really practical for a second. At every step of the way, there is some major hurdle that I did not anticipate. <laughs> the first hurdle, a 40-page application written in legalese. Just to, just to get this thing off the ground, just to give you a taste here, you know, in order to start a nonprofit organization, you need to file articles of incorporation. That's actually pretty simple. Anyone can go online and file articles of incorporation. But then in order to actually become a 501c3, in order to become a nonprofit, you need to fill out a huge form that's called a 1023. And when I first looked online, I was like, okay, we filed the articles of incorporation. Great. I'm like, okay, I'm good at this. <laughs> I've, I've filled out one online form and now it seems like we're a thing. Um, and then I looked at the 1023 and it was 40 pages long and I didn't understand the first page. <laughs> and I was just like, this is, this is never going to happen. However, you know, Qu- Quakers have this concept of, of way opens that when you're on the faithful path and you just trust and wait, that, um, that the way will open. And I experienced that. John had begun to travel, meeting with potential partners, sharing this ministry idea. I didn't know what I was, if I was fundraising or if I was recruiting for the board or what. I was just like, I know that I can't do this alone. <laughs> I was at a meeting just sort of sharing about the idea and someone came forward and said, you know, I probably can't give a lot to your fundraising campaign, but I am a nonprofit tax attorney and I'll file all your paperwork for you. 
And I cried. (laughs) But actually getting 501c3 status requires donations. And to get a pledge of donations, one needs 501c3 status. This is the definition of a catch-22. John was able to get a grant with the understanding that he had four months to solidify the organization's nonprofit status. And so we really quickly applied for the 1023 and they said, okay, great. It's going to be eight to 12 months (laughs) before we give you your 501c3. So it was like, well, we're going to lose the grant and the 501c3 status. But surprisingly, it didn't take eight months or even eight weeks. It took 30 days. If you've ever encountered the U.S. federal government, you know how remarkable that is. It's been a journey of, of... faith and grace and small miracles at every corner. Before the podcast actually launched, it took two and a half years of filing paperwork, traveling the country to meet potential donors, establishing a board, and of course, hiring a podcast producer. That's me. Those two and a half years were... um, were challenging for me because it was so plodding, you know, like um, I was talking about this big vision um, for what the future of Quakerism could look like and, and not just the future of Quakerism, but the future of the human species. What does it look like for us as a species to take the next step in the direction of the kingdom of God or the beloved community? And how do we do that in the age of the internet? And, you know, there's some urgency around that goal and that mission. And here I am, you know, like (laughs) filling out paperwork for two years. Um, it was hard to it was hard to keep my eye on the ball and to keep that target in mind. So John has established the organization, but he hasn't really gotten to the hard part yet. After the break, what happens when you start a nonprofit with no nonprofit experience? How did you discover this podcast? What was your favorite episode this season? Has the podcast impacted your faith journey? What topics would you like to see us cover in future episodes? Dear listener, this is our final episode of season one. We hope you've enjoyed these 20 episodes as much as we've enjoyed making them. And as we head into our brainstorming session for season two, we want to hear from you. What were your highlights and lowlights over these last six months? And where would you like to see us take this show in the future? Please head over to quakerpodcast.com slash survey to answer these questions and help us make season two even better. And quick reminder, we're about to send out a thank you gift to anyone who supported us in season one, and it's not too late. If you visit QuakerPodcast.com and click support, it will take you to our Patreon, where you can still sign up for a monthly donation and get a thank you gift in the mail. Georgia and Hannah have been working hard on it, and just a hint, it can carry your groceries, and it's got artwork from the Nailer episode on it. But if you do one thing, and one thing only, please fill out the survey. It really would mean so much for us to hear from you. Quakerpodcast.com slash survey, or you can just go to the site and you'll see a button. And we'll also put that link in the show notes. 
Thanks so much. Welcome back. Before the break, John had followed his leading to start the Quaker Project. And then he'd gotten tangled up in a whole bunch of red tape, survived, and now he's the official founder of a government-recognized nonprofit. But it has almost no money. So do you remember how you first met John? I do. That's Arthur Larrabee. He and John are part of the same meeting, Central Philadelphia, and he appeared in a few of John's Quaker Speak videos. The first personal encounter that I had with John was um, when I was general secretary of Philadelphia Yearly Meeting. And um, um, I was under some pressure as general secretary. Uh, During a break, um, um, John, whom I didn't know that well, came up the side steps of of the facing benches and gave me this incredibly wonderful hug. And, and, and so I, I, re, I remember John just sensing the pressure that I was under and offering, offering the solace of a personal connection. And that, in, that endeared me then and in, continues to endear me to John. In late summer of 2021, John and Arthur met up on a Philadelphia park bench for one of John's first asks, which is nonprofit speak for a fundraising meeting. They were outside because... COVID. It was then that John told me about uh, the Quaker Project. Uh, I, I, I didn't like the name very much. Arthur may not have liked the name, but he did like John's vision. I, I kind of suspected that John was, um, was um, w- wanting to ask me for money, but hadn't gotten to it quite yet. I say that in a very sweet way. I mean, he, he handled it very well. And, and, and I, I remember saying something like, well, John, I suppose you're going to need some money. <laughs> I suppose you're going to need some money for this project. I, I, I said, I don't have a lot of money, but I, you know, I, I volunteered uh, to, to put in 5000 into this project at the beginning. I have to admit, I'm really awkward talking about money and um, and and specifically asking, even for something that I really believe in, it's a new muscle. And um, you know, I've had people say like, "Oh, you didn't ask me for enough," or "You need to ask for something more specific." And I've had couples turn to each other and say, "No, John, you're messing this up. Let me do it for you," and then ask their spouse for more money than I would have felt comfortable asking for. John needed to raise $215,000 from individual donors and grants. And that was just for the first year of operations. He needed to hire a podcast producer, earn enough to actually draw a paycheck himself, buy equipment, pay for lawyers, establish a payroll, and tons more things. I, I think the best advice that I've ever gotten as I've been setting up this project and this organization is to be clear about the things that I don't know and to recruit advisors. You know, every person that you talk to about your vision, about your project is a potential partner in some way, whether they're going to be a funder for it, whether they know how to do board development or personnel handbooks or whatever, that if it's going to be an ensemble piece, then you're going to need people to plug in with whatever skill set they have. And um, and if you feel the need to transmit the message to 
everyone that you have it all under control and that you know everything that needs to happen, then that's less of a clear invitation for people to step up with their own gift set. That's especially been true with fundraising. You know, when I have these conversations about financially supporting the project, um, I'm pretty clear that I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> with fundraising. Like, and, and that's a piece of advice that I got from Tracy Sullivan. One of our board members. One of your advantages here, John, is that you're brand new to this. You don't, you're not like a slick fundraiser. You're going to bumble through it and people will support your project. Not, not because they feel sorry for you because you're bumbling, but more like because, um, because they want to join on as an advisor, because they have experience doing this and they want to teach you how to be better at fundraising, you know, ultimately because they believe in this vision, but you're inviting partners. You're not just inviting funders, you know, you're inviting, you're crea- building a team. And speaking of the team, that was something John began building early in the Quaker Project's creation, starting with the board. Holly Baldwin, a self-proclaimed Quaker governance nerd, was one of three original board members, along with Fritz Weiss and Max Carter, who has been a frequent guest on this season's podcast. And we didn't even know who was going to be what role, you know, and um, we didn't have bylaws. We didn't, you know, we didn't have incorporation materials. And um, I think all of us had some experience with with organizations and creating some of these documents, but it, it, it was really from nothing. Holly, Max, and Fritz, along with John, of course, began inviting board members with a deep well of knowledge and experience. Tracy Sullivan was one of those early members. She was also part of John's clearness committee, his former roommate slash landlord, and is now the clerk of the board's finance committee. Apologies on the sound quality here. I was asked whether I would consider to join the board. It was maybe six or nine months after the board was formed. Mm. And uh, I wasn't confident. I've actually been in kind of an ambivalent place in my life about Quakerism for a while. But I, a bunch of us were invited to just come to a board meeting just to see. And what I discovered is there were these amazing people on the board. And I was just like, heck! I like the project, but I really want to be with all these people. <laughs> so I'm like just a really pragmatic organizations person. So um, I've taught him how to use QuickBooks. We've talked about um, personnel issues and how to de- what kind of administrative systems he need. And, um, and it's just been fun to talk. Not the vision of what's the work going to be, but really like what's the organization need to be to carry all that. The board has played and continues to play an invaluable role for each of us who are employed by the Quaker. But even so, as the founder, John has needed to make a lot of decisions, big and small, including the name. What is in a name? Calling it the Quaker podcast is both a spiritual invitation and it's a search engine strategy. (laughs) Like you want the low hanging fruit for um, for new listeners is people who Googled Quaker podcast in terms of our spiritual grounding and the invitation of our name, you know, Quakers initially used the second person, the, as a rebellion against social and spiritual hierarchy. You were supposed to call everyone who was above you, 
you. That was the honorific term. And Quakers called everybody the, which sometimes got them thrown in prison. The is holding someone in endearment and revolting against um, social hierarchy. And Quaker is inviting us into our spiritual power. It's one thing to put it on a logo and on a website. It's another thing to put it on IRS forms and, um, you know, grant applications and other things like that. And we're, we're sort of still feeling it out. Part of the inspiration for this episode was a show by Gimlet Media called Startup. It chronicled the founder's journey of establishing a new podcast company. And I remember hating the name Gimlet Media. I thought it was dumb. Um, But over time, the more they said the name and the more they contextualized the name, um, the more it was imbued with their philosophy of making media and the more I associated it with something that I really liked. Um, So that's just what happens with a name. The name itself doesn't stand alone until you start associating it with the work. And so our goal has been to um, to take that name and make it mean something. While it was vitally important to lay a solid foundation for the organization, there was pressure to get the podcast out into the world. Here's Tracy again from a conversation that we had back in July. I was getting a little nervous about how much time we were spending building the organization. And I was like, John, those donors need to see a product. <laughs> we need to actually start producing. When the podcast launched in May of 2023, I was excited. I was relieved. I was so happy to be over this period of talking about it and not getting to do it yet. And at the same time, um, I was about to get married. (laughs) I was about to spend an entire summer of travel. So I was also, even from the very beginning of the podcast, I think I showed up at the starting line already feeling thin and overwhelmed and a little burnt out and having taken on too much and too many new things. And I didn't even know how to make a podcast yet. The real challenge that I've been noticing of of embarking on a big vision and starting an organization is um, uh, that any anything that you do that goes out into the world has to coexist with like 50 other things that you're supposed to be doing that people don't see. As I said at the top of the show, being part of a startup is a lot of work. Multiply that times 100 or so, and that's what it takes to be the founder of a startup. There are a lot of folks in the world who are working a lot harder than I am just to make ends meet. And I am super blessed to have the level of support that I've had both spiritually and financially in order to do something that I feel called to and something that I feel like is meaningful work in the world. That said, you know, we're coming off of a period with the project where I have worked the last four of the last five weekends. Um, I'm often, you know, working till 11 p.m. or midnight. Um, 
it's not my preference. I'm not like a workaholic. <laughs> it's it's not. I don't love working long hours like this. Um, but I really deeply believe in getting this thing off the ground, and that there's gonna be a, a more messy first period of it where we just have to do what needs to get done, and we can think about systems long term for having more balance in our lives. And personally, I really look forward to a period of the organization where I have more balance in my life. But yeah, the past three years have been mostly devoted to trying to get this thing up and running. And it's been really rewarding, and it's been the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. John's partner Jess said she would certainly love for him to have his weekends back, But she also remembers listening to the first episode of the podcast and finally seeing or hearing part of John's vision come to fruition. I remember how exciting it was. I had no idea what you all were doing in that first episode. (laughs) John was always like really in the, the bigger values of the organization was what he wanted to talk about. So I really had no idea what to expect. Uh, that that you had been working so hard on and that John had been working so hard on until I actually like plugged in my earbuds and listened to the first episode of the podcast. And I was like, wait, I'm in Africa. I'm in, you know, like I'm in Kenya. <laughs> like this is blowing my mind. Um, and I am just so in in love with the stories you're telling. It also, like I'm saying, kind of crystallized something for me about like, oh, okay, this is what this actually looks like in the world. And these are the, you know, I loved the moment when I heard all the different voices saying the, and it was like, I don't know, it made me kind of teary, like, ah, yeah, it's, it's the collective of all of these voices. So now we're officially 20 episodes in, wrapping up our first season, and really it's only page one for this organization. We still have a lot to explore and a lot to learn. Here's Hannah. I think I knew that I was going to be doing a whole lot of different things and wearing lots of hats when I came on, and I was excited about that. And I was also excited about learning new stuff. Um, I was a little pie in the sky about, about learning new stuff. I sort of forgot that when... Most of what I'm doing is learning new stuff. That can be hard. Um, So the learning curve has been a little steep for me. Another element of being a startup is that we don't have all of our ducks in a row. And the fact that we're a startup makes that okay. And everybody knows that we're a startup. And so it's cool that we don't have it all figured out. But oh, man, I really, really like to have it all figured out and to look like I have it all figured out. I co-sign that. If you could only see me attempt to design the weekly social media posts, well, it is not pretty. (laughs) Not to mention trying to navigate and understand the complexity that is Quakerism and to tell Quaker stories in a true and compelling way week after week. But it has been really encouraging for me to see how well supported the Quaker project is. 
it feels like other people from listeners to board members are truly invested in this organization. God is doing a new thing through us. And I think the lived reminder that we are the agents of God's desire for change and love and transformation in the world. And if we can listen well for those invitations and bravely and boldly follow collecting friends around us to help us realize that vision, that's as faithful as we can be. And, and it's a reminder that we have that capacity and, I don't know, maybe even also that mandate to do that. And I want to remember John's faithfulness and boldness. Someday I will no longer be directly involved with the Quaker, but I want to always carry that, um, that reminder that when we act faithfully, we can create God's vision for the world. As the Quaker Project grows, there is a commitment to creating a healthy ecosystem where artists and creators feel free and empowered to live into their calling. I'm imagining a, a period of ongoing, thoughtful, hopefully sustainable growth for the organization. New creative voices to shape new pieces, new projects uh, alongside the the amazing podcast you've launched. This is just me speaking personally about John, like I'd like to see him doing more of the specific work he feels called to and having a team of people who are skilled in different areas that kind of balance each other out so that um, it's an organization where like people are living fulfilling lives and the creative work they're doing within the organization is feeling like meaningful work they're called to do but also balanced with like a, a joyful life, right? Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a, a model of, I feel like the word sustainability is uh, is very apt for, for that vision. One of the essential parts of this vision from the very beginning was that, um, you know, it, it couldn't just be me. This couldn't just be my thing. I, I look out in the world and I see so many talented creators and I, I know that we undervalue artists and creators as a society. I myself was a starving artist for a little while. But at the same time, artists and creators are the culture makers. They are the creators of meaning and so it's incredibly important to this vision that we are building a team of talented content creators, of talented artists and media creators who bring their own skills and bring their own visions. And um, so we are, you know, we are so lucky to have you, Georgia, working on this project and lending your talent and vision to it. And we're just getting started. We, we are continuing to build the team and we're bringing on more talented people. And the more, um, the more folks that we can support and release in doing their 
ministries and making their art in in meaningful ways that goes out and has an impact on the world, the more we can trust that um, we're we're living up to our potential as a religious society of prophets, as a, a group that that didn't abolish the ministry, but we abolished the laity, that we're lifting up these voices of possibility. And we're doing it from all different angles and all different gift sets. And so I think that's what I'm most excited about, is that we are a, a team that is just at the beginning of assembling. And I can only dream of the power that that's going to have to shape the world and shape the future. just so thankful that so many of you have spent your time listening to this new venture. We are taking a break for a few months to work on new stories, but we will be back in early 2024 with all new episodes. In the interim, we will also drop into your feed with a few special episodes. So please make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter and that you follow us on social media. Thank you also to today's guests, Holly Baldwin, Jess Horton, Arthur Larrabee, Hannah Mayer, and Tracy Sullivan. Please head over to QuakerPodcast.com to share your thoughts on this episode, to download discussion questions and access the transcript. And don't forget to also fill out our survey at QuakerPodcast.com survey. Those links are all in the show notes. This episode was produced and edited by me, Georgia Sparling, and John Watts. John also composes the music for each episode. The Quaker Podcast is part of The Quaker Project, a Quaker media organization with a focus on lifting up voices of spiritual courage and giving Quakers a platform in 21st century media. If you want to give to our work, we would so appreciate it. Please consider becoming a monthly supporter. You can learn more about how to join our giving team at thequaker.org. That's T-H-E-E quaker.org. Every contribution expands our capacity to tell Quaker stories in a fresh way.